Good morning and welcome. Patriot Radio News Hour. I'm Joe Jaquin, CEO of the Patriot Trading Group. Our toll-free number, 800-951-0592. The website at allamericangold.com. And I hope today finds you well. Uh, just so many places to, to talk about. Obviously, we had the long Memorial Day weekend. Uh, everybody's trying to, to downplay. The president was in Japan. And, you know, the 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 tone has turned. He, he gave a little press conference and was talking about how America, we're not ready to talk to China anymore about the trade deal. Uh, yeah, kind of may think uh, it may be the other way around. Uh, but nonetheless... Uh, no deal in sight. They were hoping for a rally today. Uh, not a lot of economic data was out. The, we had the tr- what I call the the traditional whacking uh, of gold and silver right as the market opened. Right, you know, nobody actually operates in this fashion unless they want to manipulate a price, which. You know, in, in the world of stocks, I guess this is, you know, considered legal. It probably shouldn't be. Uh, but someone sold another, you know, billion dollars worth of gold, paper gold contracts, uh, and, and had gold and silver down. Uh, gold's come back. Silver's still down. Great, great articles about silver. Uh, and, and not only from the supplier side, uh, but but now from a technical side, uh, silver once again holding support here at, at 14 and a quarter. The Dow was up over well over a hundred points. Uh, it has given almost all of it back uh, right now. Uh, it's up 20 uh, early. It's still early in the day, uh, but a lot of things to talk about in the next segment on Friday. And listen, this is how they do it. When you have bad news, when do you release it? We always know, right, Friday after the market closes, that's a given. If it's really bad news, wait for a a three-day weekend, right, then release it. We got really bad news out of J.P. Morgan and Jamie Dimon. I'll I'll tell you about what they had to say uh, in the payback. For the uh, the now nefarious 3.2 percent GDP growth of the first quarter, we'll bring that to you. Uh, the Pentagon has completed an audit. Yeah, I'm. Now I know that they're they've have been supposed to believe been having to do these audits for quite some time, uh, but they. They actually announced uh, the results, and I'll just tell you this. The the Department of Defense, and, and I'll just give you a quote from the uh, department itself. We failed the audit, but we never expected to pass it. That was... <laughs> That was from the Secretary of Defense. See, it's okay. Yeah, we failed. 
But you know what? It's okay that we failed because we never really intended to pass it anyway. Of course not. I mean, I, I think the reason is is a lot more complicated than incompetence. And I know that that's what a lot of us, yep, you know, we hear the, the, the $500 toilet seat, right, <laughs> the $1,000 screwdriver and all that. That's part of it. But at the end of the day, I think we all have to accept the fact that the Department of Defense spends money on things we don't want to know about, right? Because let's face it, we we don't want to know, right? We want to be dumb. We want to pretend that that uh, right. We we're always the good guy, right? America always has the white hat. I don't think they'll ever pass an audit, and uh, if I'm right for the reasons, uh, we probably never should. And then also we're going to talk about what 25% of Americans are now going into debt for. And then the last but not least on this Tuesday, do you know what the fastest growing debt level is for people entering retirement age? Right, it's kind of like a, a Alex Trebek in Jeopardy question. What is the fastest growing debt for people approaching retirement? And uh, th- this would, in my mind, right, 55 and above, the fastest growing level of debt. We got the answer to those questions and so much more on this edition of Patriot Radio News Hour. Again, 800-951-0592. And then something about America that a lot of people don't know anything about. Who's buying it, and what are they buying? So, you know, we sit here most of the time and we talk about treasury auctions. Good ones, bad ones. Man, did you see, like, the 10-year note now is, like, uh, below 2.3. The five-year note getting ready to go below 2%. And we talk about who's buying it, who's not buying it. Who's buying all the land in America? Picture Radio News Hour. We'll be back after the break. So, so many places to go. Uh, let, let's start with the with J.P. Morgan. Uh, Friday after the bell, J.P. Morgan came out and said uh, they had a new new prediction for second quarter GDP. Now, normally, here's how GDP has worked, and I'll call it in the rig system, okay? Because, again, we don't use actual numbers. And I've explained this to you uh, many, many a time. Instead, we used some seasonally adjusted number and numbers inside the numbers to try to make things appear better. 
that's their goal right obviously uh things aren't so good that they try to make them worse but in their current structure first quarter is supposed to be the worst quarter now they've made adjustments to the adjustments right remember that that was what oh god four five six years ago where they decided to seasonally adjust the seasonal adjustments uh, and then this this year we know, and I've explained it to you uh, several different times, we had a big jump in paper GDP. Not actual physical paper, not like toilet paper or paper towels, no, just on paper. Uh, things that uh, we'll call one-time, one-off type of adjustments. But the f- first and fourth quarters are supposed to be the slowest. Of course, and you think the fourth quarter, and this is the part, again, it makes no sense, right? It's Christmas. Not only do you have Christmas in the fourth quarter, you have Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. So obviously, anybody you know with half a brain would say, okay, that's got to be the highest. But they seasonally adjust a lot of that out. So the second and third quarters are typically the highest levels of growth. So when you look at GDP, if you look at any any GDP car, uh, chart this millennial, that's the pattern. There's always an outlier here or there, but by and large, over the last 20 years, that's the pattern. Slower growth in the first and fourth quarters, higher growths in the second and third. J.P. Morgan says that pattern will not hold up this year saying that after a string of bad data, this was Friday after the bell, they are downshifting their growth for the rest of the second quarter. Uh, J.P. Morgan now says that GDP growth will be just 1%. By the way, the Atlanta Federal Reserve, you know, they have the GDP tracker um, it's at 1.3 percent, so they're they're actually lower than uh, the Atlanta F- uh, Federal Reserve. We had previously expected the next Fed r- move would be a hike. So J.P. Morgan was saying, "Hey, everything was g- good, right? The economy was good." And they said that all bit at the very end of our forecast horizon in late 2020. So they come out, they say we're lowering GDP. Then they say, hey, in our last update, and they update this like once a quarter. Once a quarter they come out with an update. They said that they thought there would be a rate hike towards the end of 2020. We now see the risk of the next move as about as evenly distributed between a hike and a cut. In other words, what they said is, forget about the rate hike. right? Let's get rid of that. They, they said... <laughs> 
The durable goods order, which we talked about on Thursday. The manufacturing and service sector data, which we also talked about on Thursday. Surprisingly weak. And again, I'm not sure who it was surprising to. They said net-net business investment in the future is sputtering at the start of the second quarter and uncertainty and geopolitical risk are heavy anchors that appear will be a big drag on companies' willingness to order new equipment. So, J.P. Morgan says that the key risk uh, for U.S. growth, not only the trade war, business sentiment, and uh, the slowing of the global economy. So, again, um, you would have thought the Dow would have opened up down today, but you give that news on Friday with a three-day weekend so people forget that they did it, right? Let's not talk about it. Then this story came out. The average person in America has $6,506 in credit card debt. You know, I'd be very interested to see how that breaks down. In, if they took out the top 10%. And I'm thinking the top 10%, and why I say take them out, I don't think they have any. See what that number would do, what that would do to the balance. But anyway, they're now saying, this is by, from Experian. Okay, they're one of the, uh, the credit rating agencies, right, when you get your credit score. They now say one in four Americans is paying for basic necessities such as rent, which I didn't even know you could pay rent with a credit card, utilities, and, and food as their most uh, uh, part of their credit card debt. According to the latest data, another 12%. So, you know, I'm just kind of putting the math together here. So that puts us over a third of the country. Say medical bills are the biggest portion of their debt. So between medical bills, rent, utilities, and food, right, that makes sense. Right, that makes sense. Say that day-to-day costs continue to soar. The Federal Reserve says it's not. Middle-class life. This was one I found kind of interesting. Middle-class life has gotten 30% more expensive this millennium. So I'm wondering if if now the middle-class life, if if it's 30% more, What does it put the number at? They don't tell us the numbers. They said, by the way, the cost of things as college, housing, child care have risen much faster than that. Tuitions at public universities doubled in the last 20 years. Doubled. That's 100%. You know, my public school education there. Housing prices 
have quadrupled and they what they call popular cities so like you know phoenix denver right we're popular right we're part of the cool crowd so let me ask you if housing prices have quadrupled how could middle class still only be up 30 percent even this report makes no sense I mean, it's by far the biggest bill. What's the biggest bill? And I I think it's pretty universal, unless you flat out own your home, right? Your biggest bill is your mortgage or your rent payment. If that's up 400%, that's a big problem. Well, that's why nobody owns a home anymore, right? So that was out of experience. And, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to a point. It's going to take me a minute to get there, but I'm getting there. So you think about credit card debt rising. right? We know delinquencies are rising. But now experience says, hey, it's not people paying for vacation. right? It, it, it's not uh, them using it for an emergency. Right? Oh, man, I need four new tires on my car. I mean, we all know, dude, that's like a grand. I mean, depending on 500 bucks to what, two grand, depending on the car? And, and we found out from experience, hey, most people are using it. Well, not more, well, 33% of it now, well, more than that, are using it for basic stuff. To pay my bills uh, and, and throw in a medical payment. And then I said, uh, last segment, I asked you, what's the biggest growing piece of debt for those approaching retirement? It's not credit card debt. It's not. Which I wasn't surprised by that. Because a lot of you, if you got credit card debt and you're in your late 50s, early 60s, you've had that for a while. Right, and listen, that's trouble. Then I thought, well, maybe it's autos, right? Because cars have gotten expensive. Right, and a new car now, the average price of new cars, what, 36000 now? Maybe thirty seven. I forget. I mean, it just went up again. That wasn't it either. When you think ahead to retirement, You may look forward to relaxing days in some sunny location. Perhaps near a beach or a golf course. Oh, it's probably going to be the mortgages, right? Yeah. I mean, home prices have quadrupled. You may think how nice it would be not to worry about getting to work on time. But for many people, being over 60... And in or near retirement hasn't saved them from a problem that had up until now only plagued younger people. So it wasn't housing. It wasn't credit cards. It wasn't the auto loan. Nope. According to the Wall Street Journal, student loan debt for senior citizens 
is now the fastest growing debt segment for that age group. I can't make it up. Three million people over the age of 60 have student debt. You know why they use 60? Because they don't want to tell you how big it is if they go down to 55. Right? We're not going to be talking about single digits, 3 million, 4 million, 5 million. No, we're going to be in the double digits. By the way, the average debt of a 60-plus-year-old, 33800 bucks. Up 44% in seven years. More than 40,000 people over the age of 65 are having their Social Security payments, tax refunds, and other government payments garnished because they aren't paying their student loan. That number, yeah, it's going to more than triple. Think about it. Three million over 60 own. Have them. How many of them are on their way to getting their Social Security checks garnished? Because they got 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 thousand dollars of student loan debt. It's going to be fine. Don't worry. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. As you might expect, liberal women are trying their very hardest to make the new so-called Violence Against Women Act a women's issue. Statistics show intimate partner violence against men is comparable in frequency to violence against women. That number is coming directly from the National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey. More importantly, domestic violence has been decreasing for decades, and that started long before the billions of dollars of handouts from the Violence Against Women Act to feminist groups. One's home with a spouse has always been the safest place for both men and women, and spousal murder is thankfully very rare. Yet the Violence Against Women Act trained workers to separate domestic couples as often as possible and to file a complaint against men which often caused them to lose their jobs and their employability. The abusive ex parte court orders under the Violence Against Women Act are issued without the men being in court to defend themselves against false accusations. It's likely these malicious orders would only expand under a new Violence Against Women Act. You may remember back in 2005 when late-night comedian David Letterman discovered that a woman in Santa Fe had obtained a restraining order against him. The woman insisted that Letterman had used code words on his television show to communicate that he wanted to marry her and have her become his co-host. She said Letterman had been mentally cruel to her and caused her to endure sleep deprivation for more than a decade. A New Mexico state judge granted the woman's demand for an ex parte restraining order and it became a humorous topic for Letterman's show. His attorneys were able to reverse the court order, but most men do not have the luxury of time, money, and influence that a television celebrity has. While it might have been all fun and games for Letterman, the Violence Against Women Act poses a very real threat to the institution of marriage. 
Rather than putting the woman first, it creates a rigid system that seeks to separate men and women wherever possible and break up families far too often. That does nothing to help women. As Americans, we want the government to embrace pro-family policies that affirm marriage. That's the best way to cause our society to flourish. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. You'll be glad to know the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly continues. Upheld by Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, chairman Helen Marie Taylor, treasurer John Schlafly, a full staff in St. Louis in our nation's capital, and thousands of citizen volunteers, her eagles, across the country. You can be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back, Pedro Radio News Hour eight hundred nine five one zero five nine two. So, uh, economic data out today. Case Shiller Home Price Index fell again, uh, the smallest year-over-year number. Uh, I think we're going back. To, I think twenty thirteen or twenty twelve. Don't quote me on that. Uh, consumer confidence though was at an all-time. Well, no, it wasn't an all-time record, but it was higher. Consumer confidence higher. Uh, and again, I have no idea who the re- you know who are they calling. Experience says one in four people are using their credit card to pay for necessities. Right, obviously, right. What was credit cards for? Emergencies, right? A lot of people use them for vacations. No, they're like no. This is the new. Everything costs more. People are not of being able to afford. Think about it, the middle middle class, thirty percent more. And you think about pay. Pay's up what? I don't even know. Is it up at all? I mean, I know the minimum wage has risen. And I know that the uh, CEO pay, that's risen. But everybody else, nobody's getting more money. You're at the very end, the very lowest are, and the very top. And other than that, if you take out CEO pay out of the equation of the average American worker, the middle class is shrinking. And I don't want it to be. And again, these aren't my numbers. I don't do it. I just tell you about it. I know when you turn on the idiot box, they tell you a different story. Why do you think that is? Have you ever asked yourself that? And then this one came out. Despite being legally required to conduct audits since the early 1990s. Okay, so, and I remember that time when there was a big push to balance the budget. Remember that? I mean, everybody practically ran on it. We're going to balance the budget. Everybody said it. We're going to balance the budget. We're going to balance the budget. Does anybody say it now? You know, when they do, you you even know they're lying. If they say it at all, even then, you know, I'll say it because, you know, my speechwriter put it in, we're we're actually not going to, right? There's no plans for that. But since the early 90s, it has been law that the Defense Department and the Pentagon itself has to conduct an audit, which this week, it's surprisingly, uh, well, unsurprisingly, 
spectacularly failed again. According to a senior officials, the results were so bad. Now think about this. It's not like they just started trying to. I mean, they're almost, almost not quite 30 years into trying. The discrepancies were so bad that it would take them years to try to resolve them. The Department of Defense is handed hundreds of billions of dollars annually. And in a uh, press conference they said was like a, a comedy show, Department uh, Deputy Secretary of Defense, right? You don't send out the actual Secretary of Defense. Send out the guy nobody knows. Send out the quote-unquote deputy. I need a deputy. Right? The guy you send out that only tells you the bad news. And he started his press conference. So you guys know why I came down here today. To which a reporter replied to see if we ate donuts, which was a, a, a joke. Shanahan then casually informed reporters that the notoriously bloated and unchecked Department of Defense has failed its audit in, in uh, its first one they say they've actually completed. So I guess here's the, pro- uh, the progress. Most years, they don't even finish the audits. This year, they're saying it's the first time in 71 years that they completed it. However, we failed the audit, but we never expected to pass it. If you fail it, did you complete it? Right? Wouldn't a completed audit mean, hey, it balances Right, we've accounted. We we've we've accounted for all the money, right? Hey, you, the the government gave us, you know, I don't know, throw a number out there, a trillion dollars, and here's where the whole trillion dollars went. Audit complete. They weren't able to do that. They said that the attempt of the audit that it demonstrated the Pentagon's commitment to fiscal responsibility and maximizing the value of every tax dollar that is entrusted to us. Now, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking to myself, since the early 90s you're supposed to have done this, and you've never been able to do it. Right, we haven't had not even one year where you're able to account for even most of the money. According to the statement of the Pentagon, the goal of the audit was not to actually account for all the money. That wasn't the goal. Nope. I know that's what it was supposed to be, but that's not why we did it. We did it to reinforce taxpayer confidence.
Yeah. We want you to know that your money is spent responsibly, they said. 1,200 auditors. You heard me right. 1,200 auditors sifted through financial records spanning the Department of Defense. And to put it in perspective, the audit looked at spending on weapon systems, military personnel, and general property. Okay, so those were the three big categories. At the end of which... The, the vast amounts of spending, the Pentagon could not tell you where. And get this, get ready for this. Since the early 1990s, $21 trillion remains unaccounted for. The government you see and the government you don't see. This is just the Department of Defense. Here's what came out of the audit, where they now have $21 trillion of money spent unaccounted for. The financial management systems that the Department of Defense has put into place to control and monitor the money Okay, so they got serious. They said, "You know, we 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 bought some software." <laughs> and I'm, you know, thinking that a lot of companies probably have similar software. According to the Department of Defense, that software actually prevented them from collecting and reporting the financial information. Hey, it's not our fault, right? We bought this thing, and uh, we don't know how it works. <laughs> they frequently enter unsupported. This is the, the notes of the auditors themselves. Unsupported, i.e., imaginary, amounts of numbers in its books and then uses those made up numbers to make the books balance inventory records are not reviewed nor are they adjusted they are unreliable and inaccurate and they are actually used to report the inventory Wow. Managers don't know how much money is in their accounts. They also don't know when they've spent more than what Congress allowed them to. The Department of Defense does not record, report, collect, and or reconcile funds Receive from other agencies to the public. They don't do anything. They don't report it. They don't record it. They don't collect it. They don't reconcile it. 
The DOD does not track buyer nor seller amounts when conducting transactions. The, the cost and depreciation models they use do not work. The Department of Defense does not know who owes it money, nor how much money is owed to them. And again, I, I, I only bring this up because of, of when we sit there and we talk about debt and, and spending, nobody up there is serious. Anybody who talks about it to you, they don't want to fix the problem. I mean, it's been almost 30 years, and this is the best they can do. And I, and I just sit there and I start thinking about why don't they want to fix it? Because I refuse to believe that if we really wanted to, are you telling me that we, we really want to fix it, we just can't, right? That's the end that this is a problem so big that American ingenuity can't fix it, right? Or, there's only one other answer. We don't want to fix it. And I truly believe, unfortunately, that's the answer, right? I don't believe that, oh, well, we just, we, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to figure it out. I mean, yes, the, the Department of Defense, they get, what, about seven, seven to $800 billion a year. But, I mean, you think about it like a... a, a a, a plane built by Boeing, an F-35, I mean, I don't know, what do those things cost? $30 million a piece? I mean, it's not like, you know, a lot of it, you know, what what does an aircraft carrier cost or a battleship? I mean, hundreds of millions, billions? You'd think we could do it. So that leaves us to they don't want to. And my question is, what do you think they're hiding? What is in there? What are they doing that they say, hey, the American public can never find this out? I mean, I think about Iran-Contra, right? <laughs> I mean, was that that big of a deal? I mean, it's, well, obviously, the whole uh, war on drugs after they let all the uh, drugs come in, or maybe it is, right? That's a whole story in itself. But, but I mean, that was peanuts. They're saying that they can't account for $21 trillion of spending over the last several decades. What are they hiding? What are they doing? Right? I mean, it's a creepy amount. Like I said, it's not like, oh, we, we can't account for a billion dollars. I mean, or a hundred billion dollars for that matter. They can't account for trillions, 21 trillion. Where did it go? Who got rich off of it? Right? That, that's really me. When they say follow the money, but then they make sure it's impossible to follow it.
Something's wrong. This is not a government for the people. That's not what a government for the people does. Final segment coming up. We're going to talk about farmland and the surprising new owners of it. Final segment here. Quick look at the markets. Haven't talked about them much today. Gold's down five bucks, twelve seventy-eight. Silver uh, down about twenty cents at fourteen dollars and thirty cents. Uh, and it, I'll just call it what it is a, a little staged event this morning. Didn't have a lot of economic data out, and this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to keep you convinced it's going to be okay. I'll just say this: Don't take my word up for it. Heed the words of J.P. Morgan. The slowdown is here. It's real. It was real in December. And no, the central bank can't save it. The trade talks with China, they were never real. And I've told you that. You knew. Uh, By the way, the Dow's up 20 points. Uh, It's been up uh, 20 points uh, for the last little bit here. American soil. Those are two words that are commonly used to stir up patriotic feelings, right? And you think about Memorial Weekend. They're also words that can't be taken for granted. Because today, nearly 30 million acres of U.S. farmland, okay, this is just farmland, is now held by foreigners. That number has doubled. In the, in, well, again, let's just sense the millennial. And, and think about what's happening right now in the, with the farmers. Record bankruptcies, again, are occurring, right? Uh, from dairy farms to soybean farmers, right? You name it. When the stock market tanked during the last recession, foreign investors began buying up big swaths of U.S. farmland. And I'll I'll take exception to that. When the stock market tanked, these farmers were going bankrupt. So I don't think the two are correlated necessarily. You don't need a stock market to tank for farmers to go under. We're learning that today. Because there are no federal restrictions on the amount of land that can be foreign-owned, it's been left up to individual states to decide on any limitations. And I'm okay with it. I like that. Let the states decide. I'll give you one example. Iowa, they don't allow it at all. Right, Iowa says, you know what, if you're a foreigner, you can't own any Iowa farmland. Unfortunately, that's the exception, not the norm. They're saying that it is likely that a lot more American farmland is going to end up in foreign hands. Now, I wonder if the Chinese buy the soybean farms. Can they ship them without the tariffs? Right? 
hey, you know what? Uh, you, we own these ones. We're not going to tariff them. Well, I don't know. I'm just asking. Especially in states that have no home uh, restrictions. They're saying that the amount of farmland going to be in foreign hands by 2030 could approach a hundred million acres. Eh, no problem there. Join us for 1360 for the next two hours, 1360KHNC.com. We're going to be talking EMP when we return.